Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Life is more meaningful when you're based on service rather than significance. And that really like hit me at the perfect time where I realized like I'm not going to have any of the results I really want in life, like really truly want, unless I focus on other people and how I can help them. And that's helped in sales, that's helped in my business, that's helped in this coaching program I'm working on now because I'm not talking about how can I get a million clients and be the biggest coach. I'm talking about how can I get the best results for other people. And that means that I want to wake up early because I'm not thinking about me because I'll cheat myself, but I won't cheat other people. Welcome to the show. You are listening to the Real Estate Lab podcast. In this lab, we decode the stories, secrets, and skills of the most brilliant minds in real estate investing, then turn their wisdom into practical advice and knowledge that we can use to boost our income. And now, let's turn it over to our host, V. It's a great day to be alive and to invest in real estate. My name is Viku, and you're now listening to my show, the Real Estate Lab podcast. Hey, how are you doing? I hope you're having a wonderful, wonderful time. You know, it's great. You know, June is here. We are finally outside again after a long, long sheltering in place order from most of the states here in the U.S. And if you're in other countries listening to the show, hey, I appreciate you. Thank you so much for tuning in. And I hope that I've been able to serve you and uh, give you some entertainment during this time. All right, so let me dive into today's episode. We have a guest that his background is similar to me. And the story is amazing. It's incredible. Our guest is 21 years old. He's a multifamily syndicator. Now, while a student athlete at UC Davis, he was able to syndicate two multifamily apartment deals. Now, I don't know how many of you could do that at 21, but this guest, he did it. And two deals, total 119 units, value at $5.5 million. Our guest today is Kyle McCott. We'll talk to Kyle and discuss more about how he raises the money, what's the mindset was like, and what he has going on right now. In fact, he has a mentoring program. He will give you a free 30 minutes coaching call. All you have to do is go to kylemacott.com. Hey, don't forget, I am still doing a giveaway in the effort to drive up reviews for the show. I am giving away 10 copies of Michael Hyatt's Free to Focus, a total productivity system to achieve more by doing less. Now, all you have to do is by the end of June, head on over to iTunes, leave a review, give me a five-star rating, hit subscribe, send me a screenshot with your shipping address. I will pick out 10 random listeners and I will send you the book. I'll even pay for shipping. All right, so without further ado, let's jump right in to today's episode with Kyle McCott. Welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Lab Podcast. My name is Viku. I'm your host, and I have Kyle McCody here with us today. Thank you for joining me on the show, Kyle. Thank you for having me, man. Hey, so uh, quick questions before we start. I know you were a pre-med student at UC Davis, right? You played D1 soccer there as well. And I noticed on one of your posts, you were a number nine. So tell me, who is your most favorite striker? 
Hey, wow, that's actually something no one's ever asked me on a real estate podcast, so I'm happy that you did. My favorite player and striker would probably be Sergio Aguero for Man City. Oh, wow. Man, I right now is usually the time where we're enjoying Premier League and, and all that soccer is going on in, in Europe, and I'm just so bummed that we have no sports going on right now. Yeah, me too, man. I really miss it. <laughs> well, you tell me, you start your journey when you were a sophomore at UC Davis um, a few years ago. How did you decide that real estate is really the best route for you to focus on? Yeah, so I did drop out my sophomore year uh, at UC Davis from uh, learning about you know financial education, and it kind of led me to understand that uh, the prescribed path wasn't really the one that I wanted to follow. I think that Rich Dad Poor Dad kind of opened my eyes to uh, the matrix, if you will. I, I guess is the only way you can really put it, because once you kind of see the world of financial literacy and and how to actually make money work for you instead of slaving away for money, um, you can't really unsee it. So after I read that book, I realized, man, this doctor route is going to keep me in school for another 10 years and then a slave to the debt that I have to take out in order to go to school. So I quickly looked for another alternative and found that Real estate was a great opportunity. It was something that a lot of people have gotten wealthy in before, and a lot of people will continue to get wealthy in in the future. So I just kind of believed in the stability of it. Um, and I figured if I'm going to dedicate my life to something, I'd rather it be something that's going to be here for a really long time. Like I didn't want to start like maybe a Shopify business or anything like that because, you know, I was going to dedicate my whole life to it and I have. And so I like that real estate's kind of intrinsic and always going to be here. Well, I mean, other, um, investment vehicles such as, such as gold and silver were also mentioned in Rich Dad Poor Dad's book. What made real estate sexy for you though? I think the opportunity to start with very little money if you know enough about real estate. And I figured, you know, because obviously I'm a college student at the time and I had no money and I had absolutely um, no way of maybe having any startup costs. So, you know, for example, gold is kind of something that you have to purchase and then have rights to own and things like that. And I guess maybe you could find a way to do it without. Um, Money, but the thing is, real estate has such great leverage that you can figure out different ways. And for me, it was wholesaling at first, um, which was selling the contract rights or assigning the contract rights to another buyer for a residential home. Um, and quickly realized that that takes a lot of time and effort too. So it's just like a a job, but you're the boss and you're your own boss, which is not a very fun thing because you know you're still giving up your time. And that was my whole thing was time. So uh, I quickly realized that I had to scale up to a bigger asset class and multifamily made sense because people always need a place to live. And that's kind of being proven right now during coronavirus where office space and retail and some other commercial forms are suffering. But you know, no matter what, people are going to need a place to sleep. Exactly. Now, as you mentioned, you were a kind of like a broke college student like we all were uh, at that time in our life. Before you start doing your first deal, how did you educate yourself? Yeah. So I actually educated myself just on a multitude of podcasts and reading books and things like that. And once I got to a certain point, I started to actually go to meetups, but I made sure that I knew the lingo first because I understood that the way that I look, you know, at 20 years old and at 19, when I really first started, um, I didn't look the part. So I knew I had to know and I had to, I had to really know what I was talking about and impress people immediately off the get-go with my amount of understanding. So I made sure to really educate myself for about six months before I showed up to anything in person. Um, and then from there, I slowly worked my way up into a meeting a meetup speaking role by just doing odd tasks around the meetup, getting to know the meetup um, sponsor, doing like check-in for him, name tags, uh, and scheduling guests. And then I realized that, you know, since I'm scheduling the guests, I realized there was a gap in the speaker lineup and that I could fill that gap. So I asked like, hey, can I speak about multifamily next week? And he was nice enough to say yes. And and that was kind of the way that I 
that I really started to educate myself was really just through books, podcasts, and then local meetups. What type of books uh, would you say were your uh, forte to read at that at that period of time? So I really like Crushing It in Apartments. I thought that was a really good book because you know a lot of the other books it's conceptual, but I really like the way that in that book he walks you through specific deals and he makes it so simple because commercial real estate and real estate in general isn't that complicated. It's just so many not that complicated things, but there's like a multitude of those simple things, so it becomes complicated because it's all enmeshed. But when you simplify it and you look at each thing um, for, you know, the individual tree instead of the forest, you can, it's actually pretty simple. It's just when they're all floating around in the ether, it's super hard to wrap your head around. So can you just from that concept, you learn from that book, from, from uh, Brian Murray's book, I think, mm-hmm, yeah. Department. Um, can you share with our audience what exactly you learned? How did you unmesh the, the, the mess that... that um, multifamily could could create for you. Yeah, so I think the 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 number one thing to do is when you're learning multifamily or any complicated thing in general, you want to learn everything kind of and then go back and learn everything in detail. Don't try to start like at one section learn it in detail then move to the next section learn it in detail then move because you're just it's just you have to get the whole picture first to see how everything's interrelated because especially in multifamily everything is interrelated. So I learned the acquisition side, kind of. I was okay at it. And then I learned the financing side and was average to okay at it. And I just wanted to get the the schema in my mind, like the overarching concept of, you know, the whole entire process of, you know, buying, managing, selling, everything, financing. And then from there, once I got the whole picture, I was able to go back in with that framework of how everything's interrelated and then go get the details later. So the first three months for me was getting the whole picture. And then the several years since then has just been, Uh, you know, going back and refining. And the first meetup that you went to, um, what city and and who hosted? Do you still remember? Yeah. So uh, it was actually in Sacramento, California. And at first it was hosted by a friend of mine named Eric Blue. But then Neil Bawa actually ended up like taking over the meetup because he actually takes over a lot in the national markets. He takes over a bunch of uh, meetups over the country and he took over ours conveniently as I was becoming a speaker. So that was good timing for me for sure. But But yeah, it was in Sacramento and uh, it's called the round table. Okay, cool. So Neil Bawa, you met Neil way before uh, the time you start and and before he became, you know, a big superstar that he is right now. Uh, Yeah, kind of. He was already starting to become a superstar um, in a sense. But yeah, nowhere near where he is now. Um, This was about a year and a half ago. So he's definitely really um, done some amazing things, you know, raising several tens of millions of dollars in single webinars and things like that. So Uh, It was just great to see how cerebral he was about real estate because, you know, um, it is definitely a relationship business and all that, but he really dives into the numbers, the stats, and um, that was just really cool to uh, see him think about it like that. Let's talk about your story for a minute here. I actually started at the same age you did, more or less, at that time frame, but, you know, I started in 08. However, I was in a place where, you know, 08 was... It seems like there were an unlimited amount of deals out there. You could do horribly wrong with your deals and you still end up coming out ahead. Uh, for you, it was different. You, the market was really hot and, and you had no experience. How did you overcome that and get into a deal? Yeah, so I think it was actually a really good opportunity for me to come into a market that was so hot because although deals were very scarce, money was like plentiful everywhere in the same sense that deals were everywhere in 2008, money was everywhere in 2019. 
Um, so I was able to actually raise capital pretty easily, uh, then find, and I, not to say easily, it definitely took a lot of meetings, but I was able to raise capital as a 20 year old, just by hustling really hard and understanding what I was talking about. Um, and then I was able to network with more experienced partners who were able to find deals in a competitive market. So I was actually kind of able to catapult my way um, and take advantage of the of the atmosphere because, you know, as you're starting out in commercial multifamily, it's really hard to get over the barrier of brokers and, you know, having net worth requirements for loans and talking to banks at 20. So I figured if I can find a partner who can check the boxes of the bank and the broker, which are like the traditional gatekeepers of real estate, then I can kind of do the non-gated area of real estate, which is raising private equity or capital. And that's just talking to wealthy individuals who you meet around town or at local meetups and things like that. So I kind of did the the, the area of real estate that's not, um, I guess, like structured. So you mentioned a little bit uh, about the, what I'm going to ask you here next, which is you had no experience and, and you wanted to go out and do the things you can to get into a deal, which was raising money. What were some of the common objections that you had to handle, um, you know, when you dealt with uh, affluence folks? Well, of course, the objection number one is, have you done this before? Uh, <laughs> and that mm -hmm. is always the uh, the answer that you have to give is no, obviously, right? Especially when you're 20 years old and you clearly haven't done a deal. You don't look like you have. Um, and it's almost impossible that you would have. So I had to answer the objection just truthfully and honestly. And that's kind of taught me a lot about um, just communication in general is authenticity always wins. And so what I would do is I would just say, yeah, I haven't done a deal. And yes, I'm 20. And yes, you're taking a huge leap of faith. But I promise that I'm going to work harder than anyone else you'd ever give your money to. And I'll do anything that I I'll do everything that I possibly can to protect your principles, protect your money and to and to make you money on top of that. Um, if that means staying up till 4 a.m., that's what I'll do. I've left behind a Division One scholarship and a promising medical career um, that's considered safe by their standards and by most people's standards. So I was definitely all in and people could see I was committed. This wasn't just some like hobby that I'd picked up. This was what I was going to you know, really commit to. How did you grow your network to raise money or how did you meet uh, these folks? So a lot of it came from that local meetup because of the fact that I was on stage. Being on stage just kind of does something in people's perception of you. It immediately makes them think that you are kind of an expert or that you are in some sort of a position of power. Um, so at, at 20, that was something that I desperately needed because I was always viewed as like this cute kid who was, oh, yeah, look at Kyle trying really hard. You know what I mean? But until I actually got on stage and had like a legitimate speaking role, people then started to be like, OK, this kid's something that I need to pay attention to. I'm going to have coffee with him. I want to get here a story. Why is he up on the stage with a mic? He seems to know what he's talking about. I, I got to meet this kid. So then from there, it actually kind of benefited me that I was young because people wanted to hear what I was doing. Um, and then that lended itself to a lot of lunches and coffees. When you actually meet them at the lunches and coffee, can you share with us your secret weapon to raise money and how you close them? Yeah. So I think number one is having a really good pitch deck or, I mean, not even to call it a pitch deck, but just a presentation of... Um, Number one, and a presentation that's focused on them, right? I, I think that people make this mistake all the time. They want to make a presentation that makes themselves sound smart and shows how cool they are and how great they are, right? No one cares about you. It's not about you. It never is. It's what you can do for the person that you're talking to, right? It's what they can do with their money, how you can benefit their life, and what that's going to look like in an emotional and tangible way. So for me, it was you know, linking it to some sort of personal event that I knew was coming up for them or something that I knew that they would need you know, money for. So if that's someone's daughter is getting close to, you know, marriage age and they need an extra hundred thousand dollars, this is just an example, but like, you know, saying, wouldn't it be nice if you had an extra hundred thousand dollars because of a 
solid investment that you could make that would be able to pay for your daughter's wedding. So you're linking it to something that's important to them in their real life. It shows that you care and that you're listening to who they are and you understand who they are. Um, and also it's talking in their terms because dude, people do like, I can't even get this across enough. I can't even be adamant enough about this, but no one cares about what you think, right? They, they care about what you can do for them. And so I think kind of uh, stepping out of your own ego when you're selling anyone or to me, like trying to convince anyone to do anything, you have to talk in a way that's going to benefit them and tell them how they're going to get um, something out of it. So Kyle, out of all of these conversations that you had, what was the single hardest, hardest objection that someone poses to you? Um, I guess the hardest objection is probably, well, you know, someone would make the point, well, why would I invest with you now? I can just wait five years. You'll still be 25. Um, you'll have a couple of deals under your belt and then uh, we'll see. I'll try you out then. Right. And um, this is kind of more of a bluff in a sense, but like, I truly do mean this. And, and you kind of have to have the confidence to say things like this. Um, but I would say like, well, who knows in five years with the trend that I'm on now that you'll even have the opportunity to invest with me. Like potentially it gets too exclusive. I get too good at this and you miss the boat. You know what I mean? Like, and I know that that can kind of come off arrogant if you say it in the wrong way, but you mm -hmm. have to kind of, um, that's really the only, uh, that's really the only way to counter that objection. And I found that I just had to own that statement and, and say it in a way that didn't come off overly arrogant, but it's, it really is the only way to get around that, that objection. Right. And when someone say such things like that, they're, testing you out they're, they're trying to see if you have the cojones to to stand up to them and said hey you know i'm gonna do this deal with the, without you this is i'm focused this is what i'm focusing on in right now and if you don't want to jump on to my bandwagon hey that's fine you know five years down the road maybe i'll i'll exclude you out of the club at that point exactly um let's talk about you um our audience, if you're listening to this, I'm talking to Kyle McCody, a multifamily syndicator and host of Own Your Time podcast. You can check out his website at www.kylemccody.com, K-Y-L-E-M-A-R-C-O-T-T-E.com. Um, let me transition into what I think a lot of people are struggling with, which is um, limiting belief. Did you have any back then? What were they? Yeah, I think I had the limiting belief that um, I think a lot of people have when they're trying to do anything that's out of their comfort zone or, you know, people would describe maybe as like exceptional or great or something that they really want to do is they think that they're not the kind of person that deserves this level of success or they're not the kind of person that can do this sort of thing. And I'd always tell myself like, you know, I'd watch like Gary Vee videos or Tony Robbins videos and I'd be like, oh, this guy's such a cool story. He's such a cool guy. He must have just been born this way and he's special and I'm not. Um, and I won't be able to have these results because you know he's just special. But then as you really dig into these people's stories, they weren't special. No one is special. It's all earned. Any, literally any, and this is a real belief that I have, any single person can have any single result if they put themselves in a situation to be successful and they do it over time and they have discipline. So I really don't think that... Um, anyone is special. I don't think that I'm special. I really doubted that I could do anything um, cool or important in any way, shape or form. And I think that as I've just developed myself, you can build on any foundation. You don't have to be born to a certain family or with a cool backstory or some awesome adversity that you can spin in a great story. Like you don't need any of that. You just need to be, you just need to do things that are hard to do on a consistent basis over time. Um, and you will be successful. It doesn't matter who you are. So when you had those limiting beliefs back then, even now, 
do you have someone in your life that kind of help you and guide you um, to how to overcome it in a way or give you some techniques and guidance? Um, I don't necessarily have anyone in my personal life that has helped me with that, but I've read so many books on mindset um, and, you know, listen to Dwayne Dyer tapes and um, uh, Wayne Dyer tapes and uh, Tony Robbins tapes and, you know, all kinds of different things like that. Um, Jim Rome and things like that, that just kind of help you understand that, that the limits on your life are in your head and that everything is in your head essentially. And that if you want something, all you have to do is number one, be certain that you can do it and then just go and take steps forward and don't doubt yourself. Be on your own team because no one else is going to be on your team. And I've, I found that cause I actually dropped out of school six months before I closed my first deal. So for six months, everyone thought I was just stupid, crazy and ridiculous. And that I had left a division one soccer scholarship and a, you know, a medical degree and everything like that. And people thought that I was just kind of uh, chasing some pie in the sky and that I was ridiculous. And you just have to, in those moments, you know, I really learned that no one really is there, but you, it's, no one's coming to save you. It's, it's your responsibility um, to make your life great, to make your life successful. And uh, you have to be your own biggest fan because literally when things are difficult, you are the only person there. It really is that um, black and white, honestly. Yeah, definitely. You have to take control of, of your thoughts and your own life. But when things get tough, I'm sure in soccer, you know, you always just have your 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 time that you are hitting that block where you cannot overcome it. And during that time, having a coach really helped. Do you have a coach that that kind of helped you get into your first deal or it was all from podcasts and, and books that you uh, learned how to do? the real estate business. Yeah. So I did learn quite a bit from podcasts and books, but at the end of the day, I met a partner at a um, Jake and Gino meetup in Jacksonville and his name is Eli. And he helped me quite a bit on the uh, first deal that I did with the underwriting and the numbers aspect of everything and teaching me the ins and outs of the, you know, arithmetic of real estate, which was huge for me. And then also the first person who ever invested with me um, in Sacramento, his name is Lalo. And he actually convinced a couple of his friends to invest as well, which really helped my overall raise amount. Um, and made it look like I was doing even better than I was just because he believed in me and got other people to buy in as well. So I definitely have had key help and key moments. And I think that that really comes from when you just jump off the cliff um, without, you know, and you try to figure out on the way down, things really do fall in place for you. And and I just met key people at key times. And it really was just a blessing and um, really, really just am blessed and grateful for those people. Yeah, I mean, nothing beats a third party validation. That's goal if you can get it. Now, I understand that you actually have your own mentorship program now. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So I have a, a little mentorship program that I'm trying to mainly focus on people from like 20 to 25, because I really want to give people the opportunity that I had, which was to learn about financial education at an early age, because I had the chart of my life and how it was going to go. And it looked all perfect and um, yada, 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 compared to what people want for you in life. But then when I realized, you know, that, I started to learn about financial education. I realized that that's not really what I wanted. And I've charted my life completely differently since learning that information. So I just want to give young people the opportunity to learn that information and to go after what they really want in life, not what other people tell them that they should want. Um, and it's been really successful for some of the clients I've had right now. Um, most of them are in their 20s and you know, people are already offering on big commercial deals and getting close to closing their first ones, even in a pandemic. So it's just, um, it really is. We teach a lot of mindset um, as well as real estate. So I've seen some great results and I'm just really passionate about helping uh, people, especially in their twenties, learn about financial education. And you mentioned we, do you have a partner that was working with you on this? 
Uh, no, it's just me. I, I guess I just spoke uh, in in the whatever the we form for some reason. Okay. Um. So your ideal client is kind of like young professional or young adult from twenty to twenty five. Do you have an ideal profile that you're looking for or some financial backing, some financial profile of, of these clients that you're working with? Uh, no, I really um, don't have any sort of requirements. I just want someone who's going to, you know, really commit to this because I'm committing a decent amount of my time um, to this. It's We, we meet every week and uh, I'm heavily invested in your personal life. The program's tailored to you. So I'm not accepting every single person. There is an application process and, uh, I can only really have like somewhere between 10 and 20 clients just because, you know, it does take a little bit of time for me to really make sure that I'm going to get you results because that's all I'm focused on right now is results for my clients. And, um, and yeah, I mean, it's not an overly expensive program. It's, there's definitely a lot of more expensive programs. So it's not, you don't have to be well off in any way. You can definitely make it work. Um, and, and I'll also work with you if, if it's something that you really want to do. And I can tell you're fired up about it as well. So this question is optional. Do you want to share how much it costs? Yeah, sure. It's actually um, about $400 a month. Okay. Your inv- the investment for your coaching is $400 a month. Um, can you kind of let me know? Let me play the devil's advocate here. Can you tell me when someone joined your program, what could he or she expect? Yeah. So basically what you're going to get is all the scripts I've ever used in any sort of sales opportunity with brokers or with investors. Um, you're also going to get about 30 to 40 handouts that are talking about detailed things in real estate. Like number one, uh, one of them is a market handout and it talks about all the key metrics that you need to look for in a city and then a submarket. Um, there is a handout about um, the due diligence checklist and all the things that you need to look for in that situation. Um, and then we talk about all the stages of investing in real estate. We have recorded Zoom calls and um, actually have a pretty cool digital pen where you can watch me do some problems. Um, and some math stuff on the on the shared screen, which is really fun. And also all the calls are recorded so you can watch them back at any time. Um, and then you'll have your you'll have access to my personal phone number at any time. Um, and I respond within 24 hours. Um, and I'll actually look at any deal that you ever are trying to invest in. I'll have you have my second set of eyes and we'll go over the analysis and make sure it's something you want to move forward on. Um, and really just guaranteeing that you're going to be successful because I'm committing so much of my time. And that's why I don't want to have all that many clients. I just want to make sure that the clients I do have, I'm giving 110% to. Okay. So what is it that you expect your client to do? I mean, paying you money monthly um, definitely take a toll out, out of their cash flow every month. But like, is there a certain things that you want them to complete um, by certain meeting or, or is it just uh, a coaching program that goes on forever and ever? Yeah. So that's a great question. There is specific tasks and goals and we have tracker, we have habit trackers and things like that because the course isn't just about um, real estate. It's also about discipline. So we'll have weekly new disciplines to stack on top of the existing disciplines. And we continue to build that up because I have a belief that, you know, when one discipline falls, the whole kind of stack falls. We have to build it up one by one. So we'll have habit trackers that, you know, weekly, and then I also have a kind of a metric where, you know, we, if you offer on a hundred, if you look at a hundred deals, you offer on 10, you'll most likely get one under contract. So we have a certain date based on your own goals and priorities in which to hit that hundred, 10, and then one number um, by, and we'll make sure that you're doing an, a certain amount of underwriting um, per week in order to hit that metric at your designed um, timeframe. Um, and then also, you know, just the assignment of, 
making sure that you're doing hard things every day that you don't necessarily want to do and training yourself to be able to make that, to take that action consistently. Because honestly, all the real estate strategy in the world and all the mentorship in the world isn't going to do you any good if you can't take difficult action on a consistent basis. So that's the whole um, real center focus of the program is to make sure that you can be that person that can make themselves take action in the face of adversity. Because again, like I said, no amount of coaching, no amount of education, no amount of resources is going to help you if you can't take action. All right. So let, let's give the audience a little taste of your coaching. Can you share what are the metrics that you look for when you are looking at a deal, someone, um, let's say your clients present to you? Yeah. So there's two sets of metrics that I like to, that I kind of break it down into. And I have the external metrics and then the internal metrics. External would be things like returns like IRR, um, cash on cash return, annual average annual return, um, and then equity multiple, things like that. External things that you want to show investors. And my whole thesis on external returns or external metrics is that you, that's not what you base your deal on. Because you can skew external metrics based on poor assumptions or overzealous assumptions. So if you have conservative assumptions, then your external metrics are going to be different. So if you have a fixation on external metrics, which a lot of investors do, then your deals aren't necessarily going to be conservative or that um, recession resistant, if you will. So if you focus on the internal metrics, which in my opinion is debt service coverage ratio, yield on cost and cap rate, things like that, that are less sexy and they're things that you kind of only know about, right? Your investors don't necessarily know your yield on cost or your um, cap rate or your debt coverage ratio. And so the focus is on getting that debt coverage ratio at a good level and then making sure that your exit cap assumptions are conservative, your rent growth projections are conservative, um, and that you really understand the averages in your market, and that you work with your property management company to get your budget and your pro forma approved by them, because they're the ones operating your property. And if you tell them, hey, you're going to operate the property at this level, and they haven't even seen it until day one, they're going to be like, we never said we could do this. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then all your returns are completely off. So we make sure to engage the property management company very early on. Um, in the pro forma process before we show investors and things like that. Um, and then also just understanding that, yeah, your focus can't be, oh, I want to get a 15% IRR because essentially those are, those are not real statistics necessarily. They're, they're based on your assumptions. They're not actualized, right? They're, they're what, they're what you think is going to happen. Whereas debt coverage ratio year one is what you know is going to happen based on current actuals. So that's what we try to focus on. All right. And let me let's let's say right now we're in the middle of the lockdown you know everyone's staying at home um dealing with covid-19 and how are you going to to define conservative underwriting now you know before i'm i'm sure before this lockdown there were a lot of people claiming conservative uh, underwriting but i can I can swear no one could have thought that, you know, we would come to a standstill like this. Yes, of course. I mean, the thing about projecting forward right now would be um, almost impossible. And that's why, uh, you know, I'm definitely sitting on the sidelines until people go back to work and we can kind of somewhat forecast what the rest of this year is going to look like. Because right now, um, I wouldn't even bet a single dollar on what the rest of this year is going to look like. But the thing I will say about people who have not necessarily been conservative or the fact that you maybe couldn't have been conservative leading up to a black swan event like this. But the thing is, the way that I'm looking at deals right now is that we're trying to have a 30% buffer between our income and the amount of 
you know, debt payment that we have. And right now all of our properties are um, at at least 85% occupancy. So we still have a buffer of about 15% where, you know, we're going to be okay. And we're working with our tenants on a daily basis to make sure that, you know, we understand where they are. And if they need a new job, we're giving them um, some people who are hiring in the area and we're making sure that everyone's working together to try to get this rent paid. And um, we definitely still have a very healthy buffer. And I think that a lot of people made the mistake of not having that healthy buffer. Maybe they have, uh, maybe they've juiced the returns or skewed returns in a in an equity split position where I've seen a lot of people make um, the GP per, uh, portion of the deal somewhere around 10%, which means that the deal is very skinny and there's not that much meat on the bone. Whereas we try not to do any syndications that are going to be um, where we're not going to at least get 35 to 20, I mean, 30 to 25% of the Jeep of the actual overall equity, because then, you know, if we're still hitting those metrics, um, for the passive investors, but we're able to get that much equity, that means there's a lot of room in the deal. And we don't want to do deals that don't have a lot of room. And if worst case scenario, I'll just take a huge pay cut because again, I don't have dependents. I live extremely frugally. So I don't necessarily need like Lambo payments or anything like that. I don't, I don't have a Lamborghini, you know what I mean? So right. it, worst case scenario, we're going to make sure our investors get paid back and I'll just take a huge haircut. So I've set deals up in a way that like worst case scenario, no one's necessarily going to lose principal unless, you know, obviously like a tsunami hits the pro. I mean, you know, some sort of crazy um, circumstance. Right, right. Definitely. Now let me transition over to the next segment of the show here. Uh, can you tell me what you what did you learn in the sport world that you find to be useful in real estate? Um, one of the things I learned in the sport world that is actually kind of a negative thing on some aspects, but uh, it really has helped me and shaped my life a lot. Um, and that's that I never really worked that well in a team. I was not the best team player and I was extremely selfish in a sense. Um, and it really impacted my life in a negative way where it took me till I was about 19 to realize that I was you know, overly selfish and didn't take my teammates' thoughts or feelings into consideration enough. And that's really helped me um, focus my life more on service and for other people because, you know, I had like a big kind of a, um, you know, slap in the face when, you know, you get to the college level and you're no longer the all-star, right? You're kind of the star in college and then you come to a team full of everyone who was a star. Uh, you I mean, you're kind of a star in high school, then you get to college and everyone's a star there and you're no longer like the guy who can just kind of be, hey, this is my team, you know what I mean? So, Right. I had to learn that you know life's not about you, um, and then learning Tony Robbins um, simultaneously with that real life lesson and his whole philosophy is like life is more meaningful when you're based on service rather than significance, and that really like hit me at the perfect time where I realized like I'm not going to have any of the results I really want in life, like really truly want, unless I focus on other people and how I can help them, and that's helped in sales, that's helped in my business, that's helped in this coaching program I'm working on now because I'm not talking about how can I get a million clients and be the biggest coach? I'm talking about how can I get the best results for other people? And that means that I want to wake up early because I'm not thinking about me because I'll cheat myself, but I won't cheat other people. And I think that's how everyone is. Like if I want to, I'm not going to cut corners when I'm doing things for other people, but if I'm just alone and I'm the only one holding myself accountable, then there, it's highly likely that I'm going to cut corners. Oh yeah, definitely. I would say 99% of us are the same way. Um, can you now? Can you share with me what is your biggest challenge right now? My biggest challenge, I think, is just staying calm, being cooped up in my house. Uh, to be honest, because I'm an extremely <laughs> active person, and um, staying inside all day and not being able to go and have the meetings I typically have is a little bit frustrating. But I'm also trying to see the bright side and have a positive outlook on the fact that the market's definitely going to shift, in my opinion, to more of a buyer's market where things are going to open up. Maybe cap rates expand a little bit. 
and purchasing becomes slightly easier. And as someone who's sort of on the uh, the come up, if you will, in real estate, that's a great opportunity for me personally, since I don't own a bunch of assets that I'm worried about going down in value. I'm more in the um, expansion role of my business where I want to continue to get more assets. So if I can get them at a discount moving forward, then that's going to be a great opportunity for me. I just have to stay grounded and uh, level-headed. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Kyle. Let me ask you one last question before I let you go. What is a unique ability that you have to do something better than 90% of the people out there? Um, I think I have a real gift um, at connecting emotionally with other people and understanding what they're trying to say that they won't actually verbalize, but what they're, um, you know, what they really mean by the things that they're saying. Um, and that, uh, that really helps me out in developing relationships and also helps me in, you know, talking to investors and other things like that, especially business relationships or negotiations with brokers. I can tell kind of where their motivation lies and the things that they truly want um, and the points that they want me to hit. Um, so without actually just nonverbal cues, I think I'm, I'm definitely just good at. So that's definitely helped me in the communication aspect of things. And, um, and I really just enjoy talking to people in general. So I just, I seek out talking to more people because I like it and therefore I get better at it. So it's kind of like this, this um, positive feedback loop. Great stuff. Now, if you want to connect with Kyle, make sure, make sure to check out his website. That's kylesmccody.com. Um, and you want to share your Instagram handle as well? Yeah, sure. It's Kyle Marcotte and then the number oh, nine. Marcotte. I'm sorry. I've been saying it wrong the whole time and you didn't correct me. Oh, sorry, man. No, it's not. I'm not. A, I don't really have a, any sort of qualms about people pronouncing my name incorrectly. It's not a big deal. It's spelled very strange, so it's totally fine. <laughs> I'm so sorry about that. And thank you for your time on the show today. Yeah, of course, man. That's the end of the show. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a five stars rating and review on iTunes for the Real Estate Lab podcast. Until next time, have a prolific week.